0: So last week, um, Roger was preaching on the sacrifice of Isaac, or the, the intended sacrifice of Isaac by Abraham. And we're thinking this evening of how that links to the privilege we have as believers. As those heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, all those who came before us, and who really are our spiritual ancestors, but how they didn't receive the fulfillment of promise, of what was promised. Uh, but we did as Christians. So what are we going to do with it? We, we stand on the shoulders of giants, uh, these spiritual ancestors of ours. Um, you know, we are the Israel of God. Abraham is our forefather spiritually. And he was made righteous by faith In the same way that we are, though he came well before the gospel and the time of Christ. So what in this text would lead me to value what I have in Christ? How are we going to value um, our position in Christ this evening? Uh, We think of privileges. Um, Everything these days is about rights and privileges. Um, But what about the privileges we have as Christians Well, there's two points this evening. Firstly, we imitate our heavenly-minded ancestors. And secondly, the privilege of unity of all believers. I think my overall title is a resurrection to a more privileged life. A resurrection to a more privileged life. So firstly, imitate our heavenly-minded ancestors. If we look at the text, verse 39 reads, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Well, going back over Hebrews 11, if you cast your eye back over the passage, verse 10 says about Abraham, For he waited for the city, which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. Well, in what way did he wait for a promised eternal city? Well, this is linked to Genesis 12, uh, sorry, Genesis and chapters 12 to 17 where Abraham received a number of promises from God. Abraham was promised three main things. He was promised that he would have numerous offspring, as numerous as the stars in the sky or the grains, grains of sand on the beach through Isaac so he'd have numerous offspring and the second thing he was promised was that uh, God would give his offspring all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession like an everlasting home a city an eternal city and thirdly that God would establish his everlasting covenant with Isaac and bless him This was all in the future. He waited for a city whose foundations and builder is God. And Hebrews 11 verse 13 says very similar to what this verse in 39 says in our passage. It says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them far off. So these ancestors of ours like Abraham and Sarah, they died being sustained by faith, but without ever having received a tangible fulfillment of those promises, only welcoming them or embracing them from a distance. They were longing for a better heavenly country, but they didn't receive it. They did go into Canaan, um, but it wasn't perfection. And eventually, you know, in the story of the Israelites, they were... Exiled due to their disobedience uh, from the Canaan, the promised land, and spent 70 years in captivity before they were then brought back. There were a number of kings before this exodus, uh, kings like David and Solomon. Um, but again, they weren't perfect. So Canaan wasn't a perfect place. And it, there weren't perfect kings to rule over it. And people... The inhabitants certainly weren't perfect because if you read Kings, they fell into all sorts of habits. In fact, if you read many of the books in the Old Testament, um, they were like in Judges, in the cycle of disobedience and repentance and restoration. Um, In Isaiah, where they treated the widows and were idolatrous, sorry, they treated the widows badly and the orphaned they ignored and they were idolatrous. So the whole story really of the old testament is of imperfection in this land in its kings in its people and looking forward to something better so uh, uh, people like abraham and sarah were looking forward to what was coming and were sustained by faith but they didn't receive it in this life and that's why faith in verse one is certainty of things hoped for an assurance of things not seen Because, as Roger mentioned a couple of weeks ago, faith lays hold of what is unseen. It rests on God's word alone. Hope is a confident expectation that springs out of faith. You know, Christ's work on the cross was very much unseen. I remember watching that film, um, probably about 10 years ago, with Jim, funny name at the end, Kaysville or something, And um, it illustrated the physical aspects of Christ's death. You know, the, the whipping and the crown of thorns being thrust onto his head and the horrible death that Christ went through. But all the spiritual aspects that Christ won for us is unseen. You know, the fact that the wrath of God was being poured out on him. Well, the world did go dark then. And the fact that he was opening a way to, for us to have a relationship with him was signified by the a temple curtain being torn in two. But largely, it was unseen the spiritual work that Christ did, the forgiveness that he bought for us, um, the penalty of sin that he fully took on himself. Where all our says all our sins were nailed to the cross in Colossians but they weren't physically nailed to the cross you couldn't see it it's only through the eyes of faith as God reveals it to us that we see all the spiritual work that Christ accomplished on the cross so faith is very much laying hold of what's unseen and for taking God at his word faith is a conviction in your heart that these things really did take place it's a supernatural conviction that the God gives us that Jesus died for our sin personally, you know, my sin, your sin, and that it really was for us and that we really have been set free by that. That's what faith is. It's a a supernatural conviction. The Bible tells us that faith is a gift. It's given to us graciously by God and enables us to see all these spiritual things that are true of Christ and that his death on the cross is for me And it's for you. Well, a number of years ago, I heard a a sermon saying that Christians these days were too much pie in the sky when you die and not enough meat on your plate while you wait, something like that. And what they meant was that, you know, Christians are walking around with their head in the sky thinking of heaven whilst there's all this suffering going on around them. And they should be really starting soup kitchens and um, being on the streets every day and well while I absolutely agree with that to be fair I mean you know in our lives whether we you know we might not do open air work but certainly we are um, commanded to uh, love our neighbours to help other people and to bring the gospel to them you know, via friendship and at work or in our daily lives even in the shop even when my father-in-law gets his oil delivered, I think I mentioned this before. He, he witnesses at uh, the oil driver, and that's what we're commanded to do. And that's more like the meat on your plate while you wait. But we we should be heavenly-minded, and I think that as Christians we've lost that sense because this we're to be nomads like Abraham. We've lost the sense that we're here for a flash, an instant, uh, you know, like a blade of grass. That's withered by the sun. We're here for such a short time, and and yet really, and then we'll spend eternity with God. Or people who aren't Christians are going to spend eternity without God. There's no such thing as annihilationism in the Bible. You spend eternity in one place or the other, and so we ought to be heavenly-minded because then it influences how we live our lives day by day. So Christians um, ought to be those with a faith. And a certainty in things unseen. Because we are an eternal heavenly people. Our lives go on forever. They're eternal. Most on percent of our lives is in eternity in heaven with God. It's not here in this place. Yet our world is one that's so immediate. It's so living for the moment. Gratifying every impulse and desire. Oh, you know, my phone's dinged. I used to criticise my brother when he first got his phone and uh, for looking at his emails, even on holiday. And, but, you know, I do it sometimes now. So many people do. We live for the moment. And this shouldn't be true of Christians um, because we live in an eternal lifespan. It's interesting that looking at verse 7 of Hebrews 11 the writer to Hebrews is talking about Noah and he's saying by faith Noah who's warned about things not yet seen moved with godly fear and prepared an ark for the saving of his household and we know that he had a hundred years he was warned well in advance but looked forward a hundred years to when the event of the flood would happen and a commentator says on it you know the, the world, the unbelieving world was condemned for its preoccupation with the present. They scorned Noah because there was no rain. It was so long in the future. This world is an immediate, unbelieving, instant, carnal world. And But we are not to be like that. We are those who lay hold of what is unseen. Well, going back to the Thrust that they didn't receive what was promised, but they looked forward to it. You know, our spiritual ancestors had far less insight than we have. Um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't have the scriptures, even. They were written later by Moses, um, some of them, the first scriptures. And yet they looked to their eternal future. Abraham saw some fulfillment of God's promises, he did see the covenant son Isaac being born the the son who was born in their old age which they thought impossible but but nothing is impossible with god and they saw his birth and him growing up and in fact isaac figuratively was given sorry abraham figuratively was given isaac twice because he was given abraham was given isaac back when he was about to sacrifice isaac and god told him to stop and provided a lamb in, instead So Abraham saw the fulfillment of some of these promises during his earthly life. But he didn't see the fulfillment of God's promise of rescue that we see now as Christians in the death and resurrection of Christ. You know, our proof, our proof of the eternal life to come in Jesus is a lot more certain now than Abraham ever had. And we have the Holy Spirit. They only had the Holy Spirit on certain occasions or in certain people. But all believers have the Holy Spirit within them to lead them and to guide them and to comfort them and to bring the words of the Bible to life. We have so many more privileges. Um, Romans tells us that we've died and been raised with Christ. Our sins nailed to the cross have we've seen. We've been justified. We have peace you know, we've been made alive with Christ and we're united with him. We, we take Christ with us everywhere we go because we're joined to him. We're united with him by faith. And we have Jesus' promises. He said, my father's house has many rooms and I am going there to prepare a place for you. We have that promise of heaven in such a, put in such a beautiful way. Do not be troubled, he says. I'm going to prepare a place for you. We have that promise. So surely we should be, can be even more eternally focused than Abraham. Colossians says, set your minds on things above, not things on the earth. And Peter says, according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Fix your eyes, says Hebrews 12, on Jesus The author and finisher of our faith these heroes of faith they didn't receive the fulfillment of promises that we have now in Christ but they fixed their eyes on the eternal and were credited for their faith surely we have more reason to imitate our heavenly minded ancestors and fix our eyes eternally and live our lives as though they're eternal not living for the moment but living then for spiritual things, maybe making sacrifices because eternally it doesn't matter. We can forsake material gain for spiritual gain. For so to live is Christ and to die is gain. So let's enjoy our relationship with Christ here and now. Because when we die, we go immediately to be with Him. We don't go to be with our possessions, we go to be with Christ. My second point is the privilege of unity of all believers. The privilege of unity of all believers. Verse 40 says, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Well, listening to the account of um, the sacrifice of Isaac last week, I'm reminded of what the as we said, what a privilege it is to be a Christian living now in this messianic era, post-resurrection, post-ascension. And yet, you can see that these things were written for our example. We have privileges that they never enjoyed as we see Christ clearly. But we also look back on their lives as they instruct us. 1 Corinthians 10, it says... Now, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. The ends of the ages have come is us. The passage in 1 Corinthians 10 is warning against idolatry, and it's actually using those, uh, the people, Israel, back in Moses' time as an example for us to avoid. It's talking about the golden calf incident in Exodus 32 and so soon after Moses came down the mountain having received the Ten Commandments in fact, before Moses came down Aaron was with the people and they fell into idolatry you remember the story of the golden calf and Moses was up there receiving the Ten Commandments with God and they'd all seen the lightning and thunder on the mountain yet they said who is this God make us an idol and Aaron crafted a golden calf. The Israelites fell into worshipping idols. Uh, They got drunk and committed immorality in what was an awful act of rebellion against God. Talk about biting the hand that feeds you. Well, the Corinthians uses this passage as an example and it says, don't be idolaters like them. Don't put Christ to the test. Don't rebel against God who loves you and cares for you. And the point is that not only Old Testament characters like David and Joseph and so on were types of Christ, but situations then were types of Christ. God's rescue of Israel out of Egypt was a type of Christ. It symbolized, or it was a picture of God's rescue of Christians. How um, God brought them out of darkness into life, which he does for us. He brought brought them from idolatry in the gods of egypt to worshipping the one and true god he rescued them via the sacrifice of a lamb you know during the passover and the blood of the lamb on the doorpost as god rescues us through the blood of christ so this whole event is a type of christ it's a, a pointer to our our own rescue and our own salvation and the cloud over the tabernacle uh, coming down on Moses as he spoke to God, is a. it prefigures the Holy Spirit coming into believers' lives. All those events that went on, they were types, they were shadows and pictures of our, what would come, what would um, exceed it, what would be better um, in our relationship with God. Those Old Testament people went through so much difficulty and hardship just to give us a picture of how Christ dying and being raised again gives us new life. This is that picture of idolatry that I mentioned at the Golden Calf which is a picture of we're not to abuse God and forsake him for idols because he cares and loves for us. And Passover is a picture of Christ's death on the cross. <clears throat> and we all, what we see with The example last week of Abraham about to sacrifice Isaac is a picture of the terrible experience that Christ went through on the cross and that the Father went through on the cross for us. Imagine how hard it was for Abraham to take his only son, his only child of covenant, Isaac, uh, and sacrifice him because he didn't know God was going to say stop. And imagine the, you know, the, the awfulness for Isaac about to be sacrificed by his father who's about to put a knife into him. And um, as Roger reminded us last week, Isaac didn't struggle. He was willing. It, pic- it pictures, uh, it prefigures what Christ would do on the cross. The similarities are striking you know, Isaac carried wood on his back to the sacrifice, to the altar, like Jesus carried the cross. And God, God's very words, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Reminds us that for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son for us. And the provision of a, a ram, a male lamb in the thicket, to substitute for Isaac. When God said stop, um, prefigures Christ. You know, they, those Old Testament heroes went through so much for us, and when you look at this passage, the, the, the passage in Genesis on the testing of Abraham's faith, and the and the cost of it, you really think that, you know, God put that in for us. The struggle and the ordeal that Abraham and Isaac went through was for us. I mean, the Bible said it in that passage in. Um, Corinthians that it is for for us but there's no other explanation for it child sacrifice was forbidden that's why the God wanted to wipe out the Canaanites for they worshipped and sacrificed their children to the gods among other things so they went through all this for us it's such a privilege for us believers to be united with those who came before us They're not different from us. They're fellow believers. Abraham was a believer by righteousness. His faith was credited to him as righteousness, as ours is. Uh, We know more about Christ than he does, but he is our spiritual ancestor. He is a believer. They went through so much for us to give us a better picture of what Christ went through. Back to this text, verse 40. I'm just trying to explain, really, what verse 40 is about. It says that God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Our additional privilege is that we see Christ in a way that they only long to look to. And they won't be made perfect without us. Because they can only be made perfect by looking forward to that day where Christ died and was raised, where he was nailed to the cross for our sin. They can only look forward to Jesus buying us freedom and forgiveness of our sins and eternal security in Christ. They only look forward to that, but we have it. What a privilege. They can't be made perfect apart from us, but in Christ, we are perfect. Um, We still have a sinful nature in us. We still sin and we still mess up. But um, in terms of salvation, we are perfect in Christ because his sacrifice was a perfect sacrifice. It was once for for all. And it was finished, as Hebrews says. And when we go to heaven, um, our reality will catch up to our position in Christ. We will then, with resurrected bodies, be perfect in him and able to enjoy him perfectly what a privilege we have and this verse shows us how much privilege that is because they look forward to the day when they could be perfect like us so really what are we to do with this finally all this privilege well in a sense they are in watching us in a sense at least anyway verse chapter 12 of hebrews goes on to say therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us run with endurance the race set before us looking to christ the author and finisher of our faith all those heroes of faith who went before us i think we have a responsibility to them to follow christ to to live for him they went through so much nothing like what christ went through on the cross bearing the wrath of God yet it's still we still owe so much to them as they were went through what they did to be pictures uh, for us and to be types and shadows and enable us to have a greater appreciation of what Jesus has done for us so if you take anything away from today it's to value what we have in Christ don't despise it and don't treat it with contempt because that's what sin is Sin is more than disobedience to God. It is being contemptuous of what has been won for us. And it's despising what has been done for us. And I urge you not to do this, but to value the privileges we have in Christ. Let our lives be worthy of the sacrifice of Christ and the the sacrifice and endurance of those who went before us. Amen.